Hello, colleagues and friends. Olivier Gerard here, recording from Ghana. I'm an international development professional. I've been privileged to live and work in West Africa for over a decade. I enjoy conversations on peace, personal transformation, and social change with individuals whose mission it is to build a smaller world. Today, I'm speaking with Cliff Schmidt. Cliff is the founder of Amplio, a nonprofit organization which created a simple, cost effective technology named the Talking Book to provide knowledge to low literate people living in the most remote corners of the world. Amplio has been active in northern Ghana for many years, which prompted my curiosity, and Cliff and I's mutual interest for social and behavior change led to what I hope you will find a very fruitful conversation. Quick disclaimer, this podcast is a personal project. It is not affiliated in any way with my current employer. Any views, mistakes, or errors are definitely my own. If you enjoy this podcast, please connect with me on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Without further ado, enjoy the show. All right, we're on. Cliff, thanks for accepting to talk to me on a Friday morning in Seattle. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. Great. Cliff, you're the founder and executive director of Amplio Network. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And that's a U.S.-based nonprofit organization. You're using ICT to deliver social impact. Amplio makes the talking book, and you've been using the talking book as a social and behavior change communication device in northern Ghana for many years, it seems. Before we get to that, though, you were in Marrakesh a few days ago, I believe, for the International Mm -hmm. Summit on social yes. and behavior change communication. I wanted to hear about that. I didn't have the chance to go, so I wanted to know how that was. Oh, yeah, sure. And first of all, just to clarify, you're absolutely right. We started in northern Ghana in the Upper West region 15 years ago, but over the last five years or so, we've been having our program reach out into other countries. So we're, we have a, most of our staff is based in northern Ghana. We actually have programs in 14 countries now. Wow, so great. Ghana is and just we'll- kind of where it all started. Hopefully we'll get to that a bit later. As far as the uh, the conference, it was just beyond my hopes and expectations. I I've been to the the previous two in Ethiopia in 2016 and in Indonesia in 2018, and uh, and they were great conferences. I think the the big difference was you you get to know more people and so you get to be reunited with more people but also of course it was four years instead of two years because of covid and and i think everybody felt like there was really no substitute for an in-person conference but the uh, the type of in not just exchanging information on on how we can do social behavior change more effectively but you know what is are we missing altogether where should we be you know prioritizing especially around community engagement and a lot of discuss around evaluation. And so it's just really some great robust discussion. Starting with the basics, and this is just a scene setter for those that would not be familiar. When we're talking about social and behavior change communication, what are we trying to achieve? What is our goal? I don't know if this is a, a fair way to put it, but kind of a rough way to think about it is social behavior change is, is kind of like marketing for good. Marketing, it's sort of like marketing, but in the interests of the person or community, purely in their interests. And that gets to one of the most important things is what is in their interest. And the best way to know that, of course, is to have representatives of uh, these communities at the table in the design and throughout the process. It can be a, a, a tricky area. On one hand, you might say, well, washing your hands with soap 
is just good for health. We, we know this, there, this isn't a question we don't really need to have lots of different input on, you know, are there pros and cons of this? But, you know, even child labor issues or child marriage, there's, there's a lot of social issues where, where something for us seems like it is obviously an important thing to address but you step into the social norms of a community and understanding what is it that they want, how can you help them get there, and how do you achieve something good for children, for instance, while doing it in a sustainable way that's rooted in community. So that's, so that's I don't know if that's a little bit of a longer answer than you wanted, but that gets into some of the important issues, I think. No, absolutely. And maybe then linking this to the work of Amplio and the talking book, can we start with maybe an elevator version of what the talking book is and what it does in terms of social and behavior change communication? Yeah, sure. I'm glad we started with the social behavior change question because that is really the, the core, the important part that's going on here. If you hadn't started with that, a lot of people would look at Amplio and say, we are a, a nonprofit social enterprise that produces technology. And the technology that we produce, you know, we, we produce a lot of software, but the, the thing that we're known for that's really unusual, I'd say unique across the technology options, is that we produce an audio device that enables people in remote, low-literate communities who have no access to information in any other way to be able to listen to local language audio recordings. And they could be songs or dramas or endorsements from, from leaders in a community of an idea, or just interviews with a public health or an agriculture expert. But it's, it's a way for someone who is just cut off from getting access to, to knowledge to be able to listen through an audio device. So we're, talking, we're not talking about people in communities that are walking around with smartphones. We're often not talking about places where, where most people have any phone. There are often phones around, but they will tend to be much more in the hands of men than in women, for instance. And, and then even when you do have, you know, social and behavior change involves people listening and discussing things together, and phones tend to be a very personal device. And so having something with a loudspeaker that people can sit around in a group listening to can be a very effective tool for, for certain applications, and especially in the context that I'm talking about. In the years that I've been working in West Africa, when we think of social and behavioral change communication, my mind goes to radio, often community radio or community mm -hmm. ra yeah. or interactive radio programs. Right. In that sense, what's the, what's the value add or what's the differentiating factor for Talking Book here? What, what's different with what you're doing than what I would say more conventional radio-based type of messaging yeah. campaigns would, would be doing? Yeah, and there's there's so much great interactive radio programming out there. A lot of great organizations, and and I've got a lot of friends who have started those organizations or or work there. So I've learned a lot. And the content I would say is very the kind of content you'd broadcast over radio would be the kind of content that you might have on a talking book. In other words, it it could be a, a 20 minute audio drama, or it could be you know an interview, or five minutes, or anything like that. Whereas mobile phones tend to be much, much shorter little pieces. People don't really hold a phone to their ear for more than a minute or two. So the advantages over radio is, is mostly that, uh, that you can play the message, the recording, when you want to, when you're ready to listen to. You can pause it if you get interrupted 
and you can go back and listen to it again if you didn't quite catch something or if you want to think about something again. We are, so these are devices, these audio devices are called the talking book, as you mentioned, the Amplio talking book. And so people will use them often in groups and these groups meet at a certain time. They meet when they meet. They farm when they need to farm. You know, they, they handle their other life and business as they need to. And so they can't always move their life around radio programs. Now, of course, the best radio programs are going to try to do their best to find a good time for people. But, but this allows you to, to play it exactly when you need it. Take it into your house. Play it while you're preparing a supper or, or while you're cleaning the house or while you're working on the farm or while you're out at, at a market selling goods. And then, you know, go back and play it again. The other big thing that this does, um, I'd say two other really important things. One is that it collects usage data. So we know exactly what people are listening to and when and which communities. And we can compare that, you know, through our analytics dashboard. We can look at where is the engagement the greatest and on what type of content. And then the other thing that's related to that is that there is a microphone built into the device. So when people listen they're encouraged to speak what they think about this topic. And if you're interested, I could tell you some good examples of that. But basically, being able to get that two-way communication where people aren't just listening, they're not just passive listeners, but they're speaking into this. An interactive radio program accomplishes something similar combining with mobile phones, but this puts it all together in one device in their hands and also in one overall system where we can compare that data, listen to what people are saying, look at the trends of what people are saying. So it's from the ground up has been designed for that two-way communication purpose. I have more questions on the, the device itself, but maybe again, to sort of lay the foundation for the discussion, what's your business model? How do you implement in practice? How do you work with donors or implementing partners? Mm -hmm. how, do, how does that work to deploy the talking book in an, in upper west of Ghana or anywhere else? Yeah. Well, so 15 years ago, we started exploring this idea of a device like this and developed it within the first year or two and then piloted it and then took that, started working with partners like UNICEF and did a lot of work with CARE and, um, and uh, MEDA, the Canadian organization. Those, those three were where we really did a lot of our work in the first you know, five or six, seven years. And the reason I mentioned that to answer your question is that the type of work we were doing was using this technology, but deploying it in a, a full comprehensive program. And our staff was doing every single aspect of that work. So everything, not just the, well, we've got the technology and we can configure the technology, but also we can understand what content needs to be creative, created through you know, conversations with our partners, but also, importantly, through formative research with the communities. We can apply these social and behavior change approaches. We can just decide what is our evaluation plan? How are we going to, you know, what does success look like? What are our indicators going to be? And then start creating content that works towards those indicators. Then getting that loaded on the devices, deploying them out to some very, very remote, difficult communities to get to, and then facilitating conversations with the communities about what are these devices? Do you want them? How does this integrate into other things that you're doing? And, and then you know, periodically going back, collecting the updating devices with new content over an app that we have, collecting the usage data, looking at that and creating reports for our partners. I give that to you as kind of a, a little bit of history of, of how we started, also to answer the question of this is the kind of thing that we still do today. You know, I mentioned that we've got programs in 14 countries. In most of those 14 countries, our 
uh, partner, or, or you could even consider it our customer, is just buying the devices from us, and they're buying a, a support plan for at least the first 12 months that not only provides them with the tech support and the time for us to configure all, all the, the technology for them, but also to train them not just on the technology, but on you know what have we experienced over these 15 years in running programs like this, and how can we guide them to make the most of their program, and check in with them every few months throughout that year so that they can take it from there, and in years beyond, they can run it completely on their own. So that's our most basic package, but, but sometimes we're asked, you know, that, that end-to-end, you know, can you just do everything? We're asked to do that, even in other countries besides Ghana, where we have our staff there. You're able to do a full end-to-end, as you say, behavior, social behavior change communication, or you can just deliver the device and the partner will do everything else, conceive, design the messages, uh, translate them, record them, etc. That's correct. I wanted to geek out a little bit on the devices for, for a minute. Developing a, a pilot is one thing, but getting to scale and manufacturing is a, is a whole other process. How, how did that process work and how are you do, making these devices today? Where are they being manufactured? Okay. Today, they are manufactured in the Philippines. In, in the past, we've had them manufactured in China. So we own all the intellectual property on it. And by the way, it is all open source. We open source everything we do. But we uh, we do have control of being able to go out to a contract manufacturer and say and ask for a few bids and say, you know, here's what we want produced. Here's you know uh, uh, samples of what we produced before how much would it cost you to create this and then compare the bids. So it ends up being produced by, you know, could be any any number of contract manufacturers. That part, you know, that part's always, there are always issues that can come up, especially with COVID. You know, costs are higher. Even, even just the supply, you know, we got into a case where just the finding enough chips, you know, during the first you know, year or two of COVID was a problem. And of course, even when we're producing a few thousand devices at a time, that's nothing for these contract manufacturers. So we're way down at the bottom of the list compared to Apple's producing their next iPhone. But so there can be little things like that, but actually that is in in any year that would be less than 1% of our work is coordinating with any manufacturer. I mean, probably 0.1%. It's just a really small aspect of, of what we do because you know contract manufacturers do what they do. And you mentioned... And- well, I won't go too much in detail about the device, but you mentioned the, the feedback loop and the possibility for users mm. to record. I mean, I presume this is not, there, there's not a phone chip sending the feedback via a cell tower. So do you, do you have to go back in the communities and connect the devices to a laptop? How, how does the feedback mechanism work technically? Yeah, a great question. This is designed, it is an offline device, as you suspected. And it, it is designed that way because most of the communities that we're uh, you know, designing for are offline. They, they don't have broadband. They you know, might have some kind of you know, basic mobile phone reception, or they might not at all. They might not even have radio reception. You know, there are a lot of communities like that as well. So because it's an offline device, there's one other aspect about this that's really important. Because you said you'd have to go back into the communities to update the content. And that is true, but a really important aspect of this is that we would never suggest that Amplio Talking Book Program is a standalone program in itself. It's sort of, you know, we wouldn't say, okay, what what does this community need? Let's throw a talking book program at them. Instead, 
the actually the origin of our name, we used to be called Literacy Bridge back when we were founded. And we changed our name about maybe five or six years ago. And when uh, the reason we changed our name is because uh, Literacy Bridge gave the impression that we were only in the education sector. And, and yet it was kind of, there's a lot of education aspect of it, but there's you know, social and behavior change that crosses all sectors. And so we chose Amplio in a reference to amplifying or widening the reach of other programs. And so when we work with a partner, they have a program in mind. And, and so this program may be, it, it could be as simple as antenatal care, and they're looking for you know, demand generation to have more people actually go to that antenatal care program. Or it could be around agriculture extension, or it could be around conflict issues. You know, it could be all, all kinds of different things. And there is going to be something going on in that program. And there is typically going to be some sort of interaction with these communities. It may not be every month, but there is usually going to be some service or some kind of connection with these communities periodically. And so what we would say is, first of all, what tell us about your program and, and let's find the places where um, uh, inserting in a talking book and the, the entire program around the talking book part, where should that happen? But also, when do you go out and revisit these communities? Who does that? And, and let's make sure that they've got a Android phone in their pocket so that when they go out there, they can update the content and collect the usage data. And of course, that's an offline app. So you, know, you, you need to be online to get the latest content downloaded at some point. And then you go out into the communities you update all the talking books, you collect all the usage data, all the user feedback, it's loaded onto the Android device, and then when that device has an internet connection, it's uploaded to the cloud, and, and, and all that data and user feedback is, is available. So you're, yeah, you're not doing the intervention as a standalone intervention. It's always part of a bigger program with other interventions linked to it. Yeah, the way I think about that is I don't think bednets should be a program on its own. Don't throw a resource at a community without some, some uh, ability for people to understand how and why. Likewise, don't teach a community about bednets if there aren't bednets available. And so our talking book program handles that social behavior change and that access to knowledge. But usually, not all, in all cases, but most of the time, there should be something in coordination, some service or resource available. And so that's why it, it, it should really not be a standalone. In terms of the, the mechanics of distributing, and, and presumably it can differ from program to program, but how are the devices introduced in a community? Are they then, are they belonging to the end user? Are they lent to them? Are they, are there, is the program taking them back at the end? How do people then take care of the device that they have? How does that work? Yeah. It is, it's really up to our partner. So we, we serve our partners. We serve our partners and sometimes they ask us to directly serve the communities, but they typically are the ones that own devices. There have been some times where we have leased devices to programs that didn't want to own it because they just didn't want to have the asset in the end. But yes, there are times where, you know, at the end of three years or five years or something that the devices may be collected and, and you know, when people ask about sustainability and that kind of thing, we'd say, well, what, what should be sustained are the behaviors and the knowledge, the skills that were learned during that time. And if those aren't sustained, then, then that's a problem. But the devices could, in fact, be 
reused into other programs after that, which may or may not be in the same. There have been times where communities have said, we don't want to give them back. We've, we've, there was a program in Kenya, a USAID program, where there were mobile phones provided and there were these amplitude talking books provided. And they gave back the phones, but they refused to give back the, the talking books. So occasionally you might see a problem with that. But, yeah. although, although it's a good sign. It's not a bad sign if they want to keep it. Yeah. Means they... It's, it's nice, they're... but it does get into, you know, ideally what you want is how can a community help maintain a fresh supply of content for those devices, you know. And lo looking at that, in terms of the, I, I read a few of your case studies that you have on your website, and it seems like a lot of the devices are often deployed in the context of multi-year programs. Is there a typical length to the talking book intervention? You mentioned renewing the contents over time, but is there, is there a minimum time where you think this is useful or does it vary widely? I, yeah, I'd say minimum would be about a year. Every once in a while we get someone saying, you know, we, we just want to do this in, in three months and, you know, just really quickly and, and then we'll, we'll be able to have the resources to do a bigger program. And the, the danger in something like that, you know, especially just coming from the Social Behavior Change Communication Summit, is, um, you know, most social behavior change does not happen in a few months. And most of it does not happen in one year. It depends on what what you're hoping will change in a community, what kind of social norms are you pushing against, or it, it depends on the content and the objective. Um, but in terms of what a, what's kind of worthwhile in a program, we would typically say you want, you want to do this for a year and then at least a year and then see how much further you can take it. Because that whole process of do the formative research to understand the needs and how it relates to your objectives and, and to refine that, to evaluate it, to produce the content, to deploy it, um, to listen to people's feedback and based on that to learn how you should adjust and with new content or with changes in your program. And so, you know, that kind of thing, you just can't do less than a, a year um, uh, properly. Has there, been, has there been experiences, cases where a program has devices deployed in certain communities and another program comes along and says, hey, we want to do this other intervention in the same communities? Mm -hmm. Could we just piggyback off of these devices and, and the fact that the community is already aware mm -hmm. of what's going on and then simply upload new content? Say, I don't know, say you're, you have devices deployed for an education type intervention, then a health program comes and say, hey, we want to talk about maternal health. Is that possible? Has that happened? Is that possible? Yes. Yeah, and it's it's really a great scenario. Best use of the Amplio talking books are when both subject areas are covered because the device can handle multiple subject areas, so it makes it more cost-effective and it makes it more useful to the end user. So this has happened before. It happens when you know a cholera outbreak in Ghana, and so let's quickly add some messages addressing that. Or it happens when CARE is using talking books for one purpose and then another program at CARE says, let's, you know, can we, can we include content on this as well? And that works out. Now we have done it before where we had two organizations having content and it can work, but it's a little bit complicated with this kind of, well, you know, which content should come first and, and, you know, how does all this collection work? So it, it's, it can work, but it's where it works really well is when one organization needs to shift direction or add something complementary or respond to an emergency, then, then that works very well. Yeah, that, that has more than to do with the politics of organization yes. collaborating than about the device. And, I've, yeah. and 
you know, you, you hear donors talk about collaboration across programs, but it's much easier said than done from experience. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to spend a bit of time on Ghana specifically. You said you started in Upper West. Can we quickly go through what types of interventions you've done leading us to where you are today in Northern Ghana? Yeah, sure. I would say most of our interventions have been in the sectors of health or agriculture and but also in child protection and also there's you know there's there's a lot of things you might consider to be separate programs but are more integrated into existing content so gender-based violence for instance that can be addressed as part of many different programs an agriculture program might not just teach women farmers how to farm soybeans um, or what recipes to use to to include soybeans in, but also how to negotiate with a, a middleman when you're selling your soybeans, and then and how some basic accounting and understand the difference between you know revenue expense and you know so there's you take one objective and you may find that there's many different things around there, and then you can get into issues of gender roles in a household because of course now this woman who's who's bringing in revenue in the household and how does her husband see this and what messages might the husband might would be good for the husband to listen to to have a perspective of why this is a positive thing in the household and so you can take you know so is the issue soybeans or is the issue any of these other number of things when we worked with unicef we'll get into you know maternal and child health use of bed nets the maternal and child health could involve exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months followed by complementary feeding it could be of course hand washing with soap um uh encouraging uh, parents to send their girls to school, helping, we've done programs, also another USAID program in Laos, helping parents to to teach their young children's early childhood education type programs, where these devices are going home, not just uh, in the schools. So it really can cover quite a, a lot of things, um, uh, corporal punishment issues, um, attitudes about children with disabilities. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good list for now, but... No, sure, of course, but and, and today you're you're active and there's how many I don't know if there's a number and you can how many talking books device would be deployed in northern Ghana at the moment, for example? Is that something that's yeah? I could look up that number, but off the top of my head, I would say at any time probably on the order of a couple thousand, something like okay. that. Okay, yeah. and and do you do you think of them as as households? Like you would say, like your if, if there's a couple thousand devices, then there's a couple thousand households. That would then, um, how, how do you think about that? Yeah, good question. More than more than that, the average, well, I don't know if it's, it's strictly an average, but kind of a typical number would be about a ratio of 100 listeners to one talking book. So a thousand talking books, you'd be talking about a hundred thousand people reached in a, in a typical program. And I can I'll give you a quick example of that is, let's say you have, um, a group of people, a village savings and loan association, or a self-help group, or you know, a farmers group, a mothers group, and and let's say you've got twelve people in that group meeting, and so they've got one device that they're listening to in that group, but it's not just those twelve people; it's those twelve households with that one device, because every week after their group meeting, one of them takes it home, and they take it home. They have their all their family members listening to it, and this is not hard. Like this just happens. <laughs> we we don't have to try to encourage them to to have family members listen to it. You start playing that in the household, and and people start listening. And so then at, after that week, it comes back to the group, 
and the next person listens to it. And I just picked the number 12 because after 12 weeks, you know, that works out to be within a calendar quarter. And so now all that content can be updated with new content every quarter. And, and all those 12 households with one device are getting updated. And so with kind of a typical household size, you can see how that number would be on, on the order of, of 100 to 1. Now we have programs that are more like, you know, more than 300 to 1. And that would be when a device is used like a health facility, maybe it's, it's sitting there. And while people are waiting in line to be seen, they're listening to these messages or a community health worker who's going from place to place. And maybe that community health worker doesn't even speak the local language or local dialect natively. In fact, they might have some trouble saying much more than the you know typical greetings and asking, you know, can I can I weigh your infant now? you know, for the monthly weigh-in, but to explain how COVID spreads is a little bit beyond their, their ability. And so they would carry one of these devices, maybe plug it into an even louder speaker. You know, one device can easily allow, you know, good 30 people or so to listen to it outside together. But if you want a hundred people who are, who have some social distancing going on, you might want to plug into a loudspeaker. And so you can see how that's where you get some really big uh, leverage out of that, some bigger numbers per talking book. In terms of content, so in a, in a talking book device, how many hours of contents could there be in it typically on a program? Like the what you have in Northern Ghana right now, is it like 30 minutes, an hour, multiple hours? What, it, what does it look like? Uh, multiple hours, probably three, four, five hours. It, it, the, the limit is certainly not in the hardware. You know, the hardware, as, as you probably know, over especially over our 15 years, you know, SD cards that could have 64 megabytes <laughs> to 256 megabytes to, you know, now whatever, however many, I don't know, 32 gigabytes is, I'm not even sure if that's still sold or if we're way beyond that. So the memory capacity is huge. And secondly, the navigation capacity, you know, the way the device works is it speaks to you in your local language and says, you know, welcome. Sometimes it'll even name your community, your village. It'll, it'll actually give the name of it, this one that's assigned to you. So it'll speak it and it'll say, you know, to learn something, press the right hand. So we've got different icons on there, hands and trees and houses and, and circles. And the idea is that there are icons that are easily identifiable in any language. Someone just needs to speak that prompt, you know, when we set up the program. And so you go through it and it guides you through basically different playlists you could think of it as. And so there typically might be about, say, five or six different playlists on different topics. And so when you get to that playlist, it'll say to learn about whatever that playlist is, to learn about maternal and child health, to learn about soybean farming, press the tree. And so the tree is the symbol that's used to go through each message in that playlist. And so you press it once and now you're hearing the first message and that message could be two minutes or five minutes or 20 minutes. You press it again at any point during or after the message and you go to the next one and you can you know, press it five times quickly and you know, now you're at the sixth message. So that's how the navigation works. So you wouldn't want 200 messages on there because you know, that's a bit to navigate through, but 20 or 40 or 50 is really no problem at all. But the real limitation is how much can anyone absorb? You know, how much content do you want to throw at them at one time? If you're just going to update the content in a few months anyway, why not give them a good selection to take in for now and then deploy kind of the next set of content that also can respond to what you're hearing in user feedback, you know, adjust the program as it goes based on what they're telling you back. Earlier in the, the discussion, you mentioned radio dramas as a type of content that could be uploaded. Does that work well in terms of a more entertainment-like content? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Entertainment content is just so important. Entertainment education is, is you know, the, the field in the social behavior change world. And that's just been proven to, to be so effective. You, you, if you want someone's attention, you've got to entertain them. Whether that's a song and, and you're just getting a message across, you know, one really important message you want everyone to, to know. And, and then you, you, know, you go into these communities later and you hear people singing it. So, so that's, that's one way to do that. But if you're dealing especially with an issue related to social norms, you know, a tough issue that requires some some you you're not just telling people you know stop marrying off your children your daughters at age 14 and that that's not how it works but instead you have a drama about you know parents discussing this or or their friends coming in and discussing it with the father who disagreed with the mother but is you know is 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 saying some things that are maybe so outrageous they're funny but learning at the same time and yeah that that kind of thing has there been any talking book intervention on conflict mitigation or peace building? Because you, you mentioned agriculture, health, education. I was wondering about peace building. For example, in northern Ghana, you, as you, I'm sure, are aware, there's a history of conflict around the chieftaincy, interethnic conflicts, uh, even around elections, for example. Yes. Has the talking book device been used for such peace building programming? Yes, I mean not as much as it could be, but there's there's often those issues find themselves in many of the different programs that we've been in. You know, just as I gave that example of you know start with soybeans and now what are you covering? That's where you know conflict mitigation and peace building will will find its way into some of these other programs. Um, but I think that there's a, a lot of opportunity because these kinds of you know the opportunity to listen to recordings of of real people you know you know whether you you know them personally or whether you know their leaders you know you know people who have come to visit your community to hear their voices and to have the to be able to hear different points of view i think that's that's where there is a great opportunity but we haven't had you know the the kind of dedicated programs to that that i think we really should i was wondering so for example if if we produce a radio drama for for radio Mm -hmm. And in the areas where the language is spoken, you have talking books deployed. Mm -hmm. has, is, is it a possibility where we just go to you or to your partners and say, hey, we have this content. Could we not just upload them to the device and see how it fares in the communities where you're working without any greater integration in terms of a larger program? Just trying like, here's good material or material we think is good. Can you can you see how it fares with your communities? So that gets back a little bit to the question of where where you summarized it as politics between organizations and and how collaboration is it can be difficult. So if we were to try to do something like that, I would say, well, let's see. We're we're working extensively with Ghana Health Service, and would it make sense for where those devices are being used with Ghana Health Service to also include messages like this? And if we all agreed that that actually might make sense and maybe it doesn't maybe we should look at a different program in a different area or with a different partner with different content different kind of target audience and then when we find that we'd need to go to that partner and do you see this you know could be useful for people and you know can we find a way to make this work so there have been times where that conversation went really well and it was just a, let's figure out how to do this because the objective is clearly good for everyone and times where people said i don't know this seems like it might distract from from what our program is trying to do so it can work but but you always have to deal with that issue deal with the politics 
I, I was reading on your LinkedIn that you, I think you wrote a short article about a new project you're working on, something called Impact Designer Software mm -hmm. to manage social behavioral change communication campaigns. Can you mm -hmm. talk to us a bit about that? Yes, yeah. After 15 years, this is the next big thing for us. What I mean by that is this is a big project that has a, a huge potential in my view. So what we're doing is, in the way it started, is that we looked at a talking book program and we looked at the, you know, what works and what doesn't, where things break down, how, you know, we're, that's what we're constantly doing is thinking what, how can we develop some new program, some new training, some new service to our partners or a new technology that helps make our partners more effective, make the work that they're doing more effective. And so in time, sometimes that has been, well, let's do an analytics dashboard or let's do a piece of software that helps more efficiently and effectively process user feedback recording. So that's where some of these pieces of software have come from. But what we realized is that um, we didn't have a single thing that helped a partner in a way determine what content should even be on these talking books. So, you know, we've got something that's a kind of equivalent to iTunes, you know, load in your recordings and and you know, search them, categorize them, and find them later. And uh, you know, all these other things, even down to something we call program specification for, you, you can write down the name of every individual community or group and how many talking books are they getting and when, and you know, that, that whole kind of logistics coordination, but nothing that says, what content should you even be putting on these devices? And so we thought, well, that's a gap we need to fill. And then we quickly realized that this is something that would stretch beyond talking books um, for any social behavior change program. And, and when I say social behavior change program, the SBC people understand this, but really we're saying just about any development program, there is always going to be a social behavior change aspect of this, you know, even if it's demand generation for something. But you know, any program you have in your theory of change, you're, you have these assumptions about you know, if we do these activities, then you know, these outputs and outcomes will happen because we have these ideas of, of what people will do related to it. But will people do that? And, and what are you considering to make that happen? So, so yes, yeah, so this is why I think this is very broad. So to answer the question of what is SBC Impact Designer, it is a software to help any organization, not just those involved in SBC, to be able to design and manage and evaluate their SBC programs and to do it in a way that is engages with communities that are the, the ones being affected by these programs right from the beginning and throughout the process. So it's sort of like taking an expert in social behavior change, a project management assistant and an evaluation expert and putting them in a box and being there in, in software to, to ask you questions and to guide you through how you create design your program through engagement with the communities that you're serving. Great. So you're, you're hoping to release that in beta form this year in 2023? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that, that was our kind of one of our two purposes of being at the social behavior change communication summit was to one was around our talking books and to make sure people know the sort of things that we've talked about already but also to announce this piece of software and that we're working on and to, um, to the timing was very intentional that we've got a lot figured out. We've developed a, a good bit of it, but we wanted to bring in ideas and partners from the social behavior change community to, to help us do the right thing with this, to take all their ideas, all their concerns about what is not being done as well as it could be. And, and also all of their frameworks, all their, 
dozens and dozens of PDF toolkits that are hundreds of pages that you know not everybody sits down and reads and fully absorbs. How do we take those and turn that into software that can make it easy for, for any organization to do this well? Yeah, and I think there's work to be done to better explain what social behavior change communication is to development yeah. practitioners because as you mentioned, it's something that in most development programs knowingly or unwillingly are doing or want to be doing, but they don't have the language, the tools, and the skills to effectively mm -hmm. deliver that. So there's a lot of wasted resources. Yes. Um, I'd like to ask my guests for book recommendations, whether it's in the realm of social and behavioral change communication or any other realm, any interesting reading you've done, any book I should read that you've read in recent months that you, you can share. Wow. You know, a lot of the, the books that come to mind are actually older books, you know, kind of classics. I'm thinking about this kind of should I, I'd love to take you for a tour of my bookshelf, but my bookshelf in my office is I'm I'm at home now. But I'll just mention one off the top of my head is the book Diffusion of Innovations. It's kind of interesting because it's related to social behavior change, but but it's a different area. I always uh, forget names of even friends, but I'm trying to remember the last name is Rogers is the last name of the author. So yeah, diffusion of innovations. Diffusion of innovations. Okay. Very yes. good. So yeah, so the idea with diffusion of innovations is you there is some new innovation and 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 you want it diffused. You want it to get out there. What are the elements that affect whether something's adopted? And so, you know, things that have been popularized in technology like who are the early adopters and the laggards and you know, that kind of thing, that all came out of this diffusion of innovations field, you know, which started decades ago. And there's just a lot of good research that was done on and I think it's very complementary to to social behavior change as well, because an innovation is, you know, could be anything, you know, just a new way of doing something. Well great. I'll I'll put that on my to do to read list for twenty twenty three. And uh, Cliff, I learned a lot. I want to thank you for your time. I think it was a very informative conversation for me. And I'll, I'll be in touch either with you or with your team in Ghana for more questions. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for doing these podcasts. This is, this is really great for, for everyone. Good. All right. Well, thank you and have a great uh, New Year's. If you come to Ghana in 2023, do let me know. Okay, great. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you there. Okay. Great. All right. Thank you. All right. This concludes our episode of OG's Smaller World podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful and I hope you benefited in one way or another from this conversation. If you enjoy my discussion with Cliff and want to find out more about some of the topics we discussed, follow me on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. The links should be in the podcast episode description. Before you move on with your day, please click like, subscribe, and follow this podcast on your favorite platform. Final word of wisdom. Don't forget to be grateful for what you have in your life. Cultivating gratitude is the most direct path to happiness. Olivier here, signing out.